All right, welcome back to the Surf and Sales podcast. We are here once again with our special guest today, the CEO of the Profit Matters TPM, Monique Mills. I got that right. You did. Thank you. All right. I got nervous for a second that I that I got the acronym wrong while I was speaking. I know a lot of people do. That's why it's so important that people know my name. You know, the business can change at any time, right? Yes. That's true. That's like a real, that's a really good point about uh-huh. branding. Remember Richard and I had a conversation about the podcast. Yes. The Surf and Sales podcast. And he wanted to change the name. And I remember saying to him, why would we change the name? We already have a brand called Surf and Sales. Mm-hmm. Let's use it. But now you just made me think, well, the people stay the same, but the brand name changes. So what went into the naming of your company? Walk us through the the origin of you starting your company and tell everybody what what you do just so they have some context. So um, TPM Focus is my consulting company and it actually was started by accident. (laughs) Um, So I was building my own tech startup, SaaS company, software company, I'm an engineer. And um, people would be sent to me to ask how how could they get started, you know, getting things going because I had made so much progress in such a short amount of time. And so like my professors, I was doing my MBA at the time and my professors and different folks would say, hey, you should talk to Monique. She's she'd learn and do learn and do learn and do. And so um, that's how it really started. I just threw a name on it later as way like years later, actually, and actually formally turned it into a company. Um, but I had started charging for it after folks were just showing up to talk to me every week in Starbucks when I would be in there um, before class. So I, at first it was just like, sure, yeah, I can answer a few questions. And then it started being every week. And I was like, well, you know what? You can't just, you know, every week come and interrupt me. You know, um, I'm actually going to start charging. And they started bringing cash. So wait, that's wait, how it started. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. So you're just, we just sort of started this like, community hey come meet me at starbucks let's hang out and talk mm-hmm. all of a sudden it reached this level where you're like wait a minute my time's worth something yeah so people so he said bring cash which is by the way scott's favorite way to get cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love, I love, that's my favorite part already um so how did you, like how did you value like that's that like, i have so many questions there one is was that scary for you well, i'm just going to say this and see what people say did you send it out in an email first? Like No. Oh. No. There was no email. There was no website. There was actually no business. It was just me. Um, and I would be in Starbucks before class because I, I went to, uh, I did the executive MBA program at Georgia Tech and it was all weekend. So you're in class Friday through Sunday. And so Friday evenings, I would just start at uh, stop at Starbucks before class to try to get last minute homework done, stuff like that, because it's right there in the building. And uh, folks, was, you know, folks would just stop in and say, oh, yeah, you know, Professor so-and-so said you would be here. Like, yeah. So after a while, what, what really happened was I'm like, well, you know, I'm start charging because you're like coming. This is like the third time you've been here. So um I just threw out a number. It's like, there's like, okay, how much would it be? It's like a hundred bucks. And it's like, okay. Each and then, time? Huh? Each, oh my God, Scott. We yeah. Every time. Know. Every time somebody came to talk to her, she said that'll be a hundred dollars. 
Yeah, I was like, is it'll be a, no? I said for an hour, it'll be a hundred bucks. I just threw a number out there, and they said, okay. Next time they came back, they had the hundred bucks, and it's like, can I have another hour? And they took out another hundred bucks. Did so they? I was like, wow, they actually came with more money. Did you? What they needed. Now, did you start to get two or three people each time, or was it always one on one? Well, really, at that time, it might be two people show up at once, and so I would talk to them at the same time. But it started out with just one at a time. And then once I joined my co-working space, because I was building a tech startup, I joined the co-working space, folks there would do the same thing. So I just started charging when we go in a conference room. I didn't have an invoicing system, nothing for this. This is exactly what Scott wants. Yeah. Does this sound familiar, Richard? I'm like, oh my God, Scott's like taking feverish notes. Um, oh, this this is what I did. I don't I didn't have any of the stuff that you're tech, quote unquote supposed to have or do. And Richard, by the way, Monique would be the opposite. He would have all the ducks in a row first before he ever decided to talk to somebody. Probably he got the articles of incorporation. That's done. right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's not that's not how I got my first couple of customers. My first that's couple. Of, I, I'm proud to say my first two customers, which which, you know, my favorite story is Nick made it from Gainsight was when I had a Yahoo email address. So I'm very excited. That, oh. you know, <laughs> Wait a minute, why do you feel, that's just a question I have for you, Richard. Um, and this may be a, a joke, but I really want to know, why do you feel you need to be overprepared? Oh, Scott, I'm like looking at this actually might be a better answer question for Scott to ask. Why does Richard need to be overprepared? But I will answer <laughs> the question. Um, I think it's a lack of confidence, imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, I think that oftentimes I come in and can now present that I'm very prepared. In many cases, I'm not, and people wouldn't know the difference. Right. I think that comes with life and skill in general. Like I, you know, I I could not have done that at twenty something. Like I didn't have the confidence, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's my quick answer to that. Um, Scott, I, you know, probably if you go really deep, it's probably because my dad was like, how could you not get straight A's like your friend? <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm ruining my kids. No, right, there, there's a whole daddy shit going on in my yeah. head. Um, that's probably why. Uh, and there's, all, there's also the 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 concern that whatever the worst case scenario is may happen. Like, mm. what if it goes south and I get sued or something like that? Yes. This is right. True. It's like she's talking to people at Starbucks. They're giving her a hundred bucks cash. Nobody's suing anybody. Right. That's right. But Richard would be like, well, hold on. I got to do this the right way. There's going to be tax implications here. <laughs> I got to report all this. What? No, you don't. It's cash. <laughs> so there's a little bit of, you know, uh, safety in, in, in some of the preparation, I think you know, not just for Richard, but probably for others that people like you and I, Moni, don't have. We're like, oh, I'll figure that out later when it reaches some sort of level, you know, what of made, scale. Or, that, what made you even ask that question? Because it's a great question that I don't think anybody's ever asked. That. Yeah, because that's something, you're very seasoned at what you do. And so that's something that I wouldn't expect that you, even if you, you, you know, you just started what you're doing. You're seasoned in what you're doing in enough things 
that I wouldn't expect you to have imposter syndrome or have any type of insecurity. Oh, that's a whole other story. Yeah. It's a whole other podcast, believe me. Um, yeah. We talked about so it's surprising. I, I think I think that, and, that, and that's why I don't judge people. I ask questions um, because I'm definitely judged. You guys, you guys see the way I look, right? So, <laughs> so it's one of those things where I try not to be that person and ask questions because my assumption is, you know, you're very you know, well respected already in the industry and all these things, I would never have expected that. Well, the, it's, it's funny about the assumptions. We have a, a, a black woman, a bald Jewish man <laughs> and Forrest Gump looking homeless person. I'm pretty sure we all get judged <laughs> straight away on some level of, of, uh, of how we work. The, the imposter syndrome thing, I don't know if that really ever goes away. Huh. You know, from my perspective, it doesn't. I have imposter syndrome all the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. Richard will tell you. Yeah. Un unwarranted, unwarranted most of the time for, for many of us. Mm -hmm. But I, I think you know, there's certain people that I, that I met and talked to who I would say maybe don't have imposter syndrome. And yeah. those type of people are borderline like, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, my God just blanked on the word this like have no shame whatsoever they're just like completely self-centered that kind of thing oh, right okay. it's like yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I can see that in fact i'm gonna so funny i'm going to see scott next week and i, I have this new business idea i'm gonna do i'm gonna run by scott and I'm, I, my question one of my first questions is scott am i over engineering you <laughs> like that's what i do um and that's why I think that's why Scott and I get along. So he can help me stop over engineering. And, and I think there are times where Scott's like, okay, you know, Richard can be safe, Scott, and like make sure that I'm not making some mistake at this stage in his career. You know? Yeah. And I, I mean, with, without without imposter syndrome, I worry that you become a narcissist. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know? Yeah. I so agree. It's yeah. a bit of a it's a bit of a safeguard, but it, I'm not saying that it's helpful or feels good. I'm just saying, I think no matter how good on paper some of us do or some of us look, like we still feel that and question ourselves in that way. I feel like sometimes narcissism, though, is your cover for your imposter syndrome. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know? Um, could be, yeah. That could be. I know some narcissists, though, that really think they're that great. Like, <laughs> like you can't tell them otherwise. Well, they would maybe be all the way on the end of that narcissism spectrum. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, in fact, the book I'm reading talks about the different levels of narcissism. Um, what book is that? Uh, it's The Laws of Human Nature. Oh, I want that. Oh, I love, I'm an observer of people. So yeah. you'll like, I think I want like, that book. It's written by Robert Greene and his other one is uh, The 48 Laws of Power. Oh, yeah, I've read that. Uh -huh. Yeah, so it's the same guy. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, Scott, I'm, I'm, my imposter syndrome is really kicking in now because not only did Monique go to Georgia Tech, but um, she's got a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering. Yeah, I heard that. How, how does one move from engineering to consulting and sales and like bridge the knowledge gap? If you try to take me from sales right now and teach me anything engineering, it's a wrap. Just, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have it in me. How, how did you do that it's, it's very rare that you talk to somebody who is in engineering that moves towards selling yeah you don't really move it's it's all it's being an engineer is just really part of who you are because when you're 
when you go to college for it, it just trains the way you think. So you're just like this constant problem solver, picker apart person. <laughs> you pick apart everything and rationalize everything. Like in, in a way, um, you know, I call it in a way for like the real hardcore engineers, which is not, which I wouldn't describe myself as that. It's really a personality type as well. Um, you know, you're just like this problem solver. And every time someone, you know, has something, you're trying to figure it out. Um, so I would say that's just who I am as a person. And we know in business that that's what it's all about. It's, it's yeah, there's problems. a difference. Like, there, <laughs> Scott and I have worked with a lot of technical founders. Mm -hmm. And the level of, I, I don't know if you're an extrovert, but the personality nope. Very different than a mm -hmm. lot of the engineers we see who are very thoughtful and they're not quiet because they're introvert. They're thoughtful because they're being thoughtful. And right. to your point, they're tinkerers and they want to figure it out and stuff like that. So, um, and, and we often see so many founders have so many great ideas and create these massively amazing technical babies, but they can't get out of their own way about selling it because they can't they, they just love the product or service too much. Right. I'm curious because you you feel like you have both. I mean, you clearly have both backgrounds, right? Yeah, I do. Um, did, you ever, did you ever have that challenge? Or when you talk to other people who maybe are a little bit like I'm talking, those those technical founders who are trying to get over the, the next round of business, mm -hmm. what suggestions do you give those kinds of people? What, what tips? Yeah. Well, so I, I am that person. It's something that I fight every day because as engineers, we love to create. The problem is that, especially in college and all the other trainings that we've ever done, we've never learned how to sell all of these creations. So that's really why I went to get my MBA because I wanted to understand more of the business side of things. And then once I understood the business side of things, I was like, oh, it is. So what did you learn? What What is like... These are the pieces that I didn't connect the dots with. Yeah. So, so that for everything you create, it needs to provide value to somebody in a way that, you know, it's something that they're willing to sacrifice something for, whether it's time, money, you know, so we don't think about that at all um, in engineering. We just say, this is cool. And don't you think it's cool, regardless of what it is. Um, so I think the fact that everything should have some type of value to someone else, not just you, is, is a key thing that I, that I learned during that time. I also learned that when you are creating things, especially, you know, a business that, you know, all of it is done with other people's money, which I didn't know that. <laughs> and that's rather, <laughs> that's rather debt or, or equity, you know, um, but everything is everybody else's money. And that's a lot of hundred dollar meetings. <laughs> Right. But if you, if you think about like the Fortune 500, you know, companies that are traded on the stock market, like the CEO of that company, I mean, that's that's not his money or whoever starts the company. It's not their money. It's all the other people and entities that are involved in the success of that company who have invested in it that, you know, that actually brings it to fruition. Those are things that in reality, we never learned in engineering School. We're learned that our idea or our product or our invention is the best thing since sliced bread, and everyone should just, you know, hover around that and just yeah. talk yes. about. Oh it. my God, this is yeah. You know, yeah, I they're, just... they're taught that the product is if you make the product so good that everybody wants it, everybody buys it, and you don't have to sell it. 
there you go. I've only met two products like that and neither of them are appropriate for this show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, things like, you know, I tell people, I'm like, unless, you know, because I work with tech startups because I've been in their shoes, right? So these tech founders and stuff that you guys are talking about, really, most of them are, of course, white men. Um, Those were my brothers in college, right? So I'm the one to be like, dude, like, you know, like, snap out of it, right? And like, get them to be a little looser. Um, and so I, that's that's why I'm able to be effective in my business because I get them. We're alike in so many ways that I'd be like, dude, I had to turn that off. Like, I know you're thinking this, right? And they're like, yeah, how do you know? I'm like, because that's what I was thinking. But you have to like not think this and think this. Like it, it has to be so intentional every single day. Otherwise your business is going to fail. And that, that reality snaps some people out of it and other people it doesn't, especially snapping them out of their fear to sell their own product. Like if you can't sell your own product, how do you expect somebody else to sell it? Um, because you don't, you know, you're not able to convey, you know, the benefits of it, you know, what, whatever it is, you're not able to convey that to someone else, especially as a tech startup, like you're just getting at this. You're not going to go anywhere. How does it, how does a founder know when to let go? So I hear what you're saying and I, I agree, like there should be some element of founder selling. How do, how do you advise founders to know and recognize the time when it's like, okay, you've sold enough, like it's time for us to hire a couple of salespeople or hire a head of sales and kind of let somebody who this is their discipline take over? Because to me, that's the key to scaling to me. It's true. Right. You can't sit yeah. there as a founder probably and keep being the only one to sell this product and expect to grow something massive. You got to be able to hire in two idiots like Richard and Scott and teach them, <laughs> right. teach them how to sell it. Right. Right. So that's the thing. The 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 founders that, that I know, the, the, you know, the engineering types, you don't have to tell them that let somebody else sell it. They've been trying to put it off on somebody else since they first had the idea. The problem is they don't they don't know anyone. First of all, guys like you didn't never existed in my world for almost 20 years, you know, as an engineer. Like you never existed. Even within corporate, like we would engage some with the sales folks, which not really, right? And so the engineers in reality, we think we still think that, you know, sales folks, oh, that's, you know, they just like, you know, they think of the the used car salesman, that mentality, they don't understand yeah, they're liars. the power, uh, it, like the power, right, in, in, in like enterprise sales for software. Like we just don't really engage with y'all in corporate. Um, but in reality, you don't have to convince them to bring in a salesperson. You don't. They don't want to sell it in the first place. I usually tell them the first few customers they need to sell because it helps them refine and really understand who their customer is. Um, Because you can't bring in a sales team and you don't really know who you're selling to. And then they wonder why the sales folks that come in when they they hire too early. Why it didn't work out. Why it didn't work out. And it was like, Mm -hmm. you don't even know who's buying yet. Like, you know, you you haven't learned enough about the market that you're trying to sell into. And that may actually change like who you're targeting. Another question is what, my experience has been 
And, and again, I think this happens once they realize they need to get a salesperson and they find a salesperson and they have done some of the sales. Mm -hmm. So often the founder thinks that they can sell the same way the founder has. Exactly. And what the founder fails to realize is that the, the early customers are buying the founder. That's right. More than they're buying the, as much as they're buying the product and service. Okay. And then the founder gets frustrated because they think they found the wrong salesperson, which could be right. It could also not be right. Right. Do you, how do you coach those people? Because those are the right. ones that I think like there's, those are the ones who have amazing things and ideas, but they can't get out of their own way. Yeah. So no one has, no one has actually told them that, and, and this is very common, that the early customers were buying them and their potential, not necessarily the product. Every, no time, one I, told them every time I told them that I got fired. Right. And don't, and, <laughs> and, and the salesperson brought in better not dare say that because what you're doing is you're saying that their product isn't that great and that's offensive. You're so telling me, say that? me. So, so what's that? So the people who are listening, who are like getting into that seed and early stage and they're the first salesperson, the first sales leader, and they've got this really smart technical founder. How do we coach those revenue people mm. to more politely say that other than, Hey, go listen to this podcast with Richard and Scott. <laughs> well, um, I think when it comes down, especially if you're dealing with a technical founder, they're typically very intellectual type people. If you actually take the time, which is what I do in my work, I'll give them some of the basics on, you know, what's the difference between a suspect, suspect prospect, lead, and customer. Like just break it down to those four different things. Then they're like, oh, like I've been doing this totally wrong. I think it starts with education. I think it starts with education. And any founder who thinks they know it all and know more than a salesperson who's been doing this for years and is not willing to learn from them, I don't think that's a good match. And, and trust me, there's plenty of engineers. We think we know everything. <laughs> so, I will tell you that somebody- She said it. I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to shut up in a second, but uh, so Scott can ask a question, but it's so funny about what you said earlier about the used car salesman and, mm -hmm. you know, people think we lie and there were cheats yeah. and da, da, da. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with founders who straight up said, yes, I'll get out of your way. And then they can't. And it's like, you just became the used car salesperson. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's, it's, so when they can't get out of the way, what does that look like? Uh, they need to be involved in every deal cycle and, and, and pitch and demo presentation. That'd be one thing. Oh, I, yeah. I can go deeper. I can tell you that. Keep going. One, I had a couple of founders where it's like, oh, this is way back when, when we had like Taldap and HubSpot and, you know, we were going through the whole email thing and, you know, it was me and two other salespeople and we had to pull our COO, this founder and me into a meeting so that I could pitch for them for 30 minutes, why we should spend 40 bucks a month on HubSpot's email open tool. <laughs> By the way, for those listening, Monique is doing a, a, a palm in the face of like, oh my God. And I and I literally said what, what you're doing is I said, you do realize that this is a $700 expense and we just spent three 30 minutes in here. Yeah. If we all were doing something else would grow the revenue. Like, and they just didn't get it. So for me, it was that, that to me was micromanaging at that level. 
Scott's point, I think, is one hundred percent right too. So, yeah, you you it's to me, um, it sounds like definitely a component of like distrust. Like they don't trust that you know what you're doing or that you understand. Really, it comes down to that you know their product well enough to sell it. It comes no, down they, to the product I mean, every for time. Me, for me, it's always been they have this need to be the smartest person in the room. Oh, and, if they, and if they don't feel that way, it's almost their version of imposter syndrome and they refuse to let themselves feel that way. Oh gosh. That oh, usually gosh. doesn't happen till year three in my experience. Cause the first year, if you go to a new startup, an engineer like Monique, let's just say, Monique is like, I don't know anything about sales. I don't want to do it. So sales leader comes in and they're like a hero. Wow. In year two, the founder starts poking holes all around everywhere, starts asking lots of questions, been observing things. By year three, they're like, I could do this better than that head of salesperson. And they kind of take over. And now they're like, I know everything. I don't need you anymore. That's like the life cycle. Like you get through, that's why, one of the reasons why, that's why heads of sales only last like 18 months. You get this grace period where they're like, wow, Monique is amazing. Scott's amazing doing all these things. And all of a sudden they start asking all these questions. Like, should we should be doing it this way? Like how much sales experience do you have again? I forgot. They also Meanwhile, hold on, Richard. Meanwhile, the engineering team has been late six release dates in a row and still hasn't got this particular feature out. And I don't see any of their heads in the guillotine. <laughs> I didn't see none of them getting fired and held accountable. How come? <laughs> that's a good question i think every every single one you've dealt with is a is a little different most of the ones i know don't want to sell however there is pressure there is pressure to get as much traction as possible as quickly as possible but what they don't realize is in the beginning like their time to close they were doing sales kind of willy-nilly when you're trying to set it up such that it's a sell process and a sales organization, the, the process that it goes through takes longer and they don't, they don't really, they don't understand that because they like, when I was selling my software, I can close a sale within the same week, right? Cause I'm dealing directly with the owner. I'm saying, Hey, I'm the CEO. You're the owner. Let's us talk. Yes. I don't have to go through the receptionist, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But as a salesperson, like, you know, it, it's a different kind of process um, because you're you're actually trying to put some structure in place. Now, if it only took CEO to CEO call, sure. But that's not how it that's not how you scale an organization. Like that's just not how it's done. So I'm just, I'm just like in the awe of sunlight and the clouds are parting that we're finally talking to someone who gets both sides of this engineering and technical founder and <laughs> business side. And I'm, I'm really hoping people listen to it. Like, so being, being that you get both the technical and the, the sales side of things, give us some 2023 predictions. What are some of the new trends and sales that are going to come or some of the new tools that are going to be emerging. What do you see happening? Hey, I wish. Um, <laughs> if I had that kind of, if I had that kind of, you know, magic ball, I, I would certainly give some predictions, but you know, it's, here's the thing. What, what I see happening more than not in, in lots of things is of course, 
the use of artificial intelligence and in, in almost all aspects of, of everything that a business does. However, I think, I mean, everything down to copywriting and, you know, making um, graphics and the list goes on. And, and I think that too much being put on automation, actually, they think it'll be better, but it won't be because people still need to talk to people. There still needs to be human connection. Um, so I'm just, I'm really just watching that and trying to see how, how that plays out. Now I get it. They're using AI to um, to really like analyze sales calls and different things like that. But I mean, Scott, they think they can replace you with you know with the with the robot. So I I have a controversial opinion on this that I've said before. I think eventually I will get replaced with a robot, but it's not a robot that we think of right now. It's like one of those Westworld robots, the ones that okay. the ones that feel. And the ones that think and the ones that can innovate and create and be super responsive to feeling and all that. That's a long ways away. Richard's rolling his eyes at me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like, dude, we're not that far away from Cyberdyne, right? Like, I, I, I just think, I, I, I think that anything that can be automated away is likely to be attempted to be automated away. It'll be attempted. Will, will it be successful? That's I don't know. I don't know. And, and will point, it be yeah. in my and will it be in our lifetime? I don't know. But I, I, I can see I can see it happening. And there's more and more tools coming out to automate tasks away from salespeople. It's not that much different than going back 100, 200 years and machines that remove tasks away from individuals in manufacturing and different industries like this streamline everything but now it's just automating knowledge workers and these kinds of tasks rather than menial you know brick and mortar blood sweat and tears kind of manual labor tasks and stuff like that i think it's possible that's all I'm, that's all I'm, I'm saying i think it's possible yeah i mean there are tools already right now that can analyze sentiments tone all of that in order to um for the you know the the other side of the the technology to produce an output. Like it can tell if someone's voice is raising or lower, or you know, if they seem agitated, frustrated, like those tools already exist. And they're, you know, they're um, developed in order to respond in a certain way. However, that's something, you know, more in the deep tech realm of things like deep learning. And we're we're not there yet. Those things make major mistakes um, <laughs> because it's 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 a program and things that are developed with code are created by people who are imperfect. And so um, it will never be identical to a human experience, but it might be near close. Um, but let me tell you what gets in the way. It's all in the privacy laws. So in order to privacy laws in this country, I know, right? We get privacy laws in this country. Well, we have the choice. Let me put it that way. So the, the, the issue runs into in order for those kinds of technologies to really be fine tuned to be like almost to perfection, it requires so much data. That's why countries like China are way ahead of us because they have more people and their privacy laws. The government gets to do whatever they want with all the data that's that's created. 
And so that's why in the U.S., we, you know, we keep throwing up things like, no, you can't do this. No, you can't listen to my cause. No, you can't. You know, we have to literally give permission to use, you know, our data for things. And so it slows up the progress for the data that's fed into these programs to be fine tuned. That's why I'm saying I don't know if we'll ever actually be there if we keep throwing up these different firewalls because it takes a massive amount of data so, to really find. So I'm them. gonna I'm gonna contradict you like that. Today that the government has all the data that they can ever get. I mean, they want more. Believe me, if someone wanted yeah. because if I think about it, then and maybe they are. I don't. Maybe I I feel like our brain trust here of intelligence is still ahead and that's a very biased american opinion for those who are mm -hmm. living here i appreciate <laughs> you being angry about it but the technology to take that data and do something with it or the brain power to do it mm -hmm. i feel like is there and there is certainly enough data that they can start to run predictive models the and government but can we as private business owners would they give it to us to create a tool to do so? That's what I'm saying. I'm but talking I'm about saying, private. I'm saying the Zuckerbergs of the world and the Elon Musk of the world and yeah. anybody who, you know, Apple's doing their best to create our privacy piece around our phone. However, yeah. you know, shit's getting seeped through Google. Like, I mean, Google writes and claims one thing, but we know they don't. Right. You know, so, right. so there could be more to make it go faster and better, but I still feel yeah. like the brain power here to take what we do have surpasses a lot of places in some ways, but um, maybe that's just an American bias. <laughs> I have a totally different question to ask you as we start to try to wind down here a little bit. You've been running your own business for eight years now in this consulting business, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's almost triple the amount of time that I've been running it, running my own, which is wild to me. What, what's been the most difficult part for you in terms of trying to build your brand and amplify your message and, and voice? I don't really, I don't hit it hard. So it may, it may seem like it now, you know, on LinkedIn, um, because I'm a lot more active on there, but I don't hit it hard. I'm a real person and, and helpful in real life. And my business grew from that. It wasn't the online activity. Like that's really, you know, present. I mean, present day, maybe in the last few years, I've started doing that. So for me, it was just being known where I am. And then kind of like my name gets passed around. Now doing it digitally, that's, that's, that's new. That's new part of my business model. Um, Does that scare you? The digital part? No, it, I just feel like it's, Nothing you know, we're all competing God. for attention. I say that again. I said nothing scares you. I'm very jealous. No, <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, what's the worst that can happen, right? Um, <laughs> no, I. Would you like thing... me to show you the list? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, that's just the way I look at it. If it's not going to kill me, it's just the moment. Um, wh whatever it is, but no, the digital thing does not scare me. I just feel as if I'm. Com I, I'm. We're all competing for attention. And sometimes the most qualified person, which, you know, doesn't always make the most money. I know that for a fact. Um, but the thing is, my maybe I'm different, maybe, you know, um, at this stage of my life. But for me, it's not to make the most money. 
Like that's not, that's not my number one priority. And I get it, you know, um, I'm at a different stage in my life than some people, but um, for me, I'm not on, I'm not on a money grab. And so when people talk to me, it's like, hey, you want to work with me or not? I'm like, cool. Like, I don't care one way or another. I know what I have to offer. Um, if it's something that you need, this is how much it costs. Um, and that's just it. And I just kind of leave it there. Like, yeah. So I would say getting to that point and not being emotionally attached to, oh my gosh, what did they like? Like, I, I don't care. Richard would probably worry about the, the what didn't they like about me part or what could I do better? And I would be the one worrying about the money part. <laughs> totally. Although I, I've gotten, I've gotten better at the, I don't give a shit about what people think anymore. Um, yeah. You got to get over that. Mm -hmm. I used, I think that was when I was young, that was my narcissism, but that that's the part that was covering my, insecurities and imposter syndrome right and that was part of you know again deep gen xer latchkey kid parents divorce and so i felt like i had to figure it out on my own so the only way to do it was to fake it and then i believed in my fakiness um without addressing the other stuff underneath so there's look a long therapy session for you in like 30 seconds <laughs> <laughs> look how far it's gotten you but no re remember i think you guys may have seen one of my posts i'm the youngest of 13 kids the first and only to go to college. And so I'm like, if I was able to survive that kind of background, like what is the most that can happen? What, what can be worse than what has already probably happened in, in the past? So oh it's God, just one of those God. things. I wish we'd had this moment of 13 kids like 30 minutes ago because Scott and I are like, <laughs> wow. Oh my God. So um, I'm just trying to imagine having 11 more kids than I have right now. <laughs> And I don't think I can survive the rest of the podcast episode if I keep thinking about it. Um, so did, is that quickly, and then we do need to wrap and we want to get, give you a chance to ask a question. You know, that's, that's what we like to do. Is that where this came from for you? Is that your inner being of like, I figured this out early that I'm the, I'm the youngest of 13 kids. Are you one of 13 or the youngest? The youngest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is that where some of this I just don't have time to worry about what everybody else is thinking I just got to go for it kind of stuff came from absolutely I mean you know when when you don't grow up with money and with all of these siblings you're kind of like okay I know that I have to do something big and rather it works or doesn't work it's still going to be better than this so once you kind of break through that kind of stuff you have a different type of mentality. So people will ask me, you know, they will look at my LinkedIn profile and be like, why do you have like so many degrees and credentials and this and that? I'm like, you have to remember when I walk into a room, I'm already discounted. Like, you know, just based upon visual. And then I have my own baggage, like you, like you guys are talking about, you know, your background. So I have my own baggage, you know, not good enough. I'll, you know, I'm just this, I'm just that. So I fight that myself and then I bring all of that into the room but my goal when I come into the room is not to make people respect me it's to actually love on people and encourage people and that's what I do on LinkedIn like some people will always make a response post to someone's post with kind of a smirk you know and it's like no for me I'm like congratulating people and well done and great post and good job or you know 
nice dress or whatever it is because I give people what I wish someone had given to me because I know how transformative that can be for the human on the other side. So I don't look at people as, as dollar signs, right? It's like, if I can help you, I can help you. If I can't, I can't. But I just, I have a different way of looking at things because of my background. What's the worst that can happen? So just real quick for your brothers and sisters who would listen to this, um, you were the favorite of your children, of your parents? <laughs> Far from it. Um, <laughs> far from it you would by the time you get to be like everybody's done you're like right. you know everyone's moved on this whole kid raising right. thing like oh we still got another one here oh my gosh is, it, so, is, the, is, is the arm still attached all right with the arm is still attached a little bit we're good to go <laughs> what we still have another one here no. so no no not at all you know i had adult siblings by the time i was born um, but also, yeah, I have a complicated background. I'm a product of an affair. So that's another thing. <laughs> so my dad was married and my mom was, you know, divorced at the time. And so I'm here. Like, yeah. Got I'm it. Out here in these streets. Wow. <laughs> I really would like to have you come back on and let's dive into that kind of a background, not in the sense of like unwrap everything, but like, how does that help build you as a human because you it clearly has and you clearly had to go through a lot of things um good bad otherwise and mm -hmm. uh and you came coming out on top like that's you know a lot of it's genetics of yeah it's genetics that was my father that's what i, I tried to tell you it was genetics there's nothing special about me my father was a very educated he's a phd he's a clinical psychologist in the military for like 26 years very smart guy, you know, he had multiple degrees. And so when I met him, I didn't know him as a kid. I met him when I was 20 and I saw who he was and I said, oh, that explains it. That explains why I'm so different from my siblings. My dad is different. And um, yeah, he, he, I am him reincarnated and probably the outcome of some of his wildest dreams, but um, he, he passed away just before I got married, but he was just a very, very accomplished, smart guy who liked beautiful women. <laughs> so he got caught out there and here I am. Oh, what a, what an amazing perspective you have. It, it's, this has been a treat, not even a pleasure. It's been a real treat to, to share this conversation with you. Um, and I hate to abruptly end it because we just got to something, you know, that we can just go into more and more. But sadly, we do, um, and we give a shout out to our sponsors of Outreach, Sendoso, Scratch, Scratch Pad, and MedRep Meeting. Uh, we appreciate them and uh, having them come on and, and support us for the events. And um, obviously, Monique, you know, thank you. But before we go, what question would you like to ask us? Yeah, so you answered my question. I was wondering about that book behind you. And so I have one with Scott. Scott, what made you go out on your own? Ooh. I, I had been kind of plotting it for a, <clears throat> a number of years and, and really took my sweet time with it, even though people like Richard were telling me I should hurry up and, and do it. Um, but I, I kind of finally just got tired of working for, for other people and felt like I had accumulated enough experience and knowledge and got really good at this one thing that, that I could just focus on that and try to help more and more people rather than just one company. I thought it 
it'd be fun to help a lot of different people at once and kind of be my own boss and, and free my time up a little bit more how I wanted to spend it and, and potentially increase, you know, my earning power and all that kind of stuff. And I waited until the income I was making from all of these things on the side kind of balanced what I was making in my W2. So I, I really like went at it very methodically. And then I got level and I was like, okay, there's no more risk. I cut the regular job and, you know, that's kind of what finally pushed me over the, over the edge. Yeah. Well, I'll give some more color on that if I can, Scott, cause you know, I will <laughs> go ahead. Scott's very good at coming in and being that zero to 20 million person, really good at it. Excellent. And then unfortunately runs into the founders who the board thinks, Oh, well, you know, we should bring in someone who's done this before. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, I know, I know first couple of times it really irritates God. The last Still time irritates I, me. Yeah. But the last time you, it, you, you found a way to sort of figure it out. And also you already had the side stuff going on. That was, it was less painful, I think for you. Um, one of the other reasons it took him so long to do it was that he, it is the money thing. Like he's super money motivated and, you know, coin operated and it scares him to not have that for, a multitude of reasons um you know but that's my answer that scott won't show but you can you can dive into deep psychology around all of this kind of thing i mean yeah. i think you know my story a little bit monique but you know given my situation and my health and and all the things that i've been through like my sense of urgency is very heightened compared to normal people yes so i kind of move through the world like everything can be taken away from me at any moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to just grab what I can while I'm here mm -hmm. um, for good or bad. That's just like kind of how I thought about it. So I, I, I have been risk adverse many times when it comes to, to making risky, like financial kind of moves and decisions. So it took me a little while to, <clears throat> you know, stomach the courage, I guess, to, to go out on my own. Wow. So I got a question, one more question for, for both of y'all, because y'all work together. Um, how did you find your customers? Is LinkedIn your 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 uh your channel? Well, it's for me, it's a combination of that plus all the things that you talked about, the way that you basically started your business. Like it's all for me, everything is inbound. I don't do outbound. <clears throat> um, it's all been referrals, word of mouth, or through LinkedIn and, and different communities and, and whatnot through brand building, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because I tell people to follow you too. <laughs> I tell people to follow y'all too. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. I, I'm the same way. I got super lucky. I haven't had to do outbound. I think I tried doing some outbound when I first started. Um, like I went and pulled a list of the 10 best companies in Austin because I just had an Austin client. I had two Austin clients and I'm like, ooh, I could try to leverage that. And, you know, I didn't. I didn't do it the right way and it just didn't work. And then I just got more inbound. And to your point, um, LinkedIn was definitely a huge, is a huge piece. I was through that though. I was able to connect with sales hacker and Max Altschuler, who then had me come in and do some stuff and had me start hosting and being parts of webinars that he couldn't host because he ran out of time. Just didn't, he wanted to focus on other parts of the business that leveraged me into AAISP, which then leveraged me, um, 
into a decent brand. And I think even through Sales Hacker, I met Pete Kazanji of Modern Sales Pros, mm -hmm. and I'm a big part of that. So community, right? I think it started on LinkedIn. I mean, you fish where the fish are, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's interesting if you're working with founders and, and technical people, you know, that's LinkedIn for me isn't the first place I think they go, but maybe they do. And you're you're the example of like, well, actually, Richard, here's how they use LinkedIn differently than maybe salespeople. So, mm -hmm. so for me, it was about the network effect, I think, that helped me grow the brand. And then now it's just commenting here and commenting there and, you know, you know, the podcast and then the event surf and sales, which you should come and you should, we got, we got one or two spots left in November. Monique, we're, you know, you should come to surf and sales with us in Costa Rica. So, that sounds amazing. So. But I am a wife and a mom. So unless I'm grabbing a whole family, that's all right. They, all they'll like be jealous if I went by myself. That's all right. They'll be all right. They'll live. They'll live. <laughs> What's the worst thing that can happen? Right. There you go. I enjoy, use your line how against you. dare I enjoy myself? Oh my God. I just use your own line against you. <laughs> oh, <take care. laughs> I think that's the Thanks. title of the episode. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. So. Thanks so much for spending some time Thanks. with us, Monique. Sure. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, this is great.